Hi, it's Holly. Today on Pediatrics Now, we're talking about your baby patients and their head shapes. How do you know when you should refer out or when it's okay to wait? Joining me here in the podcast studio is Darren Poitavin. He's an American board certified and state licensed orthodist and prosthetist specializing in cranial remolding. He's the clinical program director for cranial remolding at UT Health San Antonio, where he also serves as a faculty member in the Department of Neurosurgery. In 2016, Darren developed the Cranial Remolding Program at UT Health, and he and his team are the recipients of the UT 2020 Presidential Team Award for Excellence. Darren has 28 years of experience in patient management programs, specializing in pediatrics, cranial remolding orthosis for plagiocephaly, and post-operative intervention for the treatment of craniosynostosis. Darren trains and lectures physicians and practitioners. Darren, thank you so much for being here today in the podcast studio. Well, thank you, Holly. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here. And it must be so rewarding what you do where you know you're directly helping babies. Absolutely. It is one of the best jobs I've ever done in my entire career. So when the pediatrician is uh, evaluating the patient and the mother or father is really concerned about the baby's head shape, and it's all dependent on age, um, I like seeing the patients as early as possible because I like to give a nice baseline and educate the parents. Um, but when the pediatrician's listening and they look at the head shape, sometimes they say, well, let's wait and see. Um, sometimes that is not the best advice because then we're waiting a little bit too late, then we're trying to catch up. Um, I, when I'm doing cranial remolding, I need brain growth and the skull to be pliable. So the younger I get them, the better. However, that doesn't mean every time that they send me a patient means they're gonna be going into an orthosis or a helmet. Um, I have to evaluate and see how severe they are. Um, you mentioned I've been doing this for 28 years. I've been doing cranial for 20. Um, to this day, I still can't tell you when I look at a baby's head if it's severe or not or how severe. I mean, I can say, yeah, that looks pretty bad, but that's where technology comes in, and I'm able to do a scan, and I take all the subjectivity out of it and go, okay, this is what the baby's head shape is, and we can accurately say, okay, they fall into a severity scale of severe, moderate, mild, or within normal limits. There's no, takes out the guessing, guesswork out of it. And you, you really, the key time is, did you say between four and six months? Four and six months is the ideal time to do cranial remolding. Um, the cranial orthosis or the helmet is an FDA controlled device. Um, I can I'm not allowed to put a, uh, a orthosis or a helmet on an infant younger than three months of age. Um, and typically, I don't do it at three months. It really depends on their severity. Um, first thing I need to have is the infant to be able to hold their head up. They need to have enough neck strength. The orthosis or the helmet um, weighs about six ounces. So I want them to be able to hold their head up with the orthosis on. Um, so, but four to six months is the ideal time to do cranial remolding. And again, that's because of how fast their brain is growing. I use that to our advantage and the skull is very pliable. Um, about 80% of the infant's brain growth is done in the first year. And when the pediatrician does the growth chart and they look at it, they can re recognize how fast it's growing in the first few months. So we'd like to take advantage of that.
in this high stress, high burnout career, I like to promote, you know, things you like to do outside of medicine. And what, tell us about you, what you like to do. I hear you like to garden. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, I, I de-stress when I come home. My wife knows. I, you know, she gets a kiss first, then I step right outside with my dog, and I go out to the garden. Uh, I grow flowers. I have a vegetable garden. Um, that's where I de-stress. Um, I see a lot of patients, and I want to just disconnect and not bring all my work home. Um, so that's the best way for me is I like spending some time before I just walk right into the house. And we talked in a previous podcast about the Japanese tradition. Dr. Jan Patterson talked about the Japanese tradition of taking a nature bath where just a few minutes even where you're out in nature listening to the sounds, looking at the garden, that it can be very powerful. Oh, absolutely. I it, it very quickly forget about everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I love water features. I built a water feature out of limestone. I like hearing the noise of the water gurgling. Wow. Um, I enjoy watching the birds come, and I've got probably too many bird feeders. It costs me a lot, <laughs> <laughs> all those bird seeds. Well, they really I, need the water right now, especially absolutely. here in San Antonio. So I like to have that available. So it's very relaxing for me. Yes, and tell me about, I know you were saying earlier, you know, that you like to work with your hands, like so with, like, the helmets and building water features that it all kind of works together. <laughs> yes. Um, w- in my uh, profession, um, it is a lot of hands-on. There's a lot of creating. Um, and that's why I think the uh, cranial remolding fit my personality and the things that I like to do so well because I get to use the artist part of me being able to reshape a skull. Um, but I'm also a very to-do list kind of person. I like to be done with something. I do and too. And cranial remolding is one of those most rewarding things when it comes to an orthotic device that I can put on. I'm actually making a difference. I know I can see it, and the parents see it. And that's such a reward to make that kind of um, contribution to this infant's life. And quickly back to the garden. So what kind of vegetables are you growing? (laughs) Tell me about that. In this 100-degree, 103-degree heat yesterday? Yes. uh, I think that the only thing that I have surviving right now is one pumpkin and one Mm. watermelon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have a lot of sunflowers that I've grown, um, and my son planted a gargantua uh, sunflower. It's about 10 feet tall. Um, But we've cut the stock off of that, and we'll reuse the seeds next year. But and how do you, is it just luck, or how, how did it grow so tall? It's what? That, that style of uh, sunflower. Okay. Um, is there any sort of secret or something you want to tell our listeners about growing sunflowers? And <laughs> Do they need to be watered every day? You know, I don't, because my water bill would be outrageous. <laughs> um, I kind of let it uh, alone. If I see the leaves wilting a little bit, I just water it. I'm not a professional at it. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy being out there. Um, again, it's just a nice time to de-stress. And in the summer heat, do they like any shade or not at all? Um, Total I, sun. I think the more sun, it doesn't bother them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I visited Italy, they had fields and fields of them, yeah. you know, so they're right out there in the sun. So I don't think the heat is really bothers them that mm-hmm. much. Okay. And there's some fields like that here in Texas where I was I, I heard that, yes. Yeah, back from the coast. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it, this field of sunflowers. That I, I have not seen that. Yeah. I, I, thoroughly enjoy all the different flowers and anything I can grow great if it's a weed great (laughs) 
And you love spending time with your family. I do. I'm very nerdy. Um, I do love my family. Um, I have three boys, um, 35, 21, and 20. So we're about to be empty nesters really soon. We're taking my son to Savannah um, in August. He's going to go to SCAD at the Art Institute over there. Wow, that's impressive. So, um, So, yes, I enjoy watching them and being part of their life. And how does that feel going into the empty nest? <laughs> um, a little, you know, there's exciting and <laughs> frightening at the same time. You know, I, I enjoy I enjoy them. Um, it, it will be strange not to be so involved. Um, they'll probably appreciate that I'm not so involved. <laughs> <laughs> I think my kids would say that too. <laughs> so, Darren, do you have a favorite quote or one that you'd like to share you know, um, my wife is a dietitian, and she's always saying um, when we're going through the foods, and she says, it, it, when in doubt, throw it out. And, you know, when it comes to the pediatricians, it's it's not throw it out, but when in doubt, mm-hmm. send them out. I, th- I really, if any message I could give to the pediatrician is, is would be, I would like them to take an inventory of their resources and make sure that I'm part of their resources. Um, I... I there to reinforce for them the the need for tummy time, the need for if they're concerned about a head shape to have them send over because head shapes can be what's underlying cause of the head shape. Is it just because of, is it deformational, which means just is there an external force on the skull skewing it? Or is there a more deeper, serious problem, craniosynostosis, which is the premature fusion of a one or more suture? And if that's the case, I mean, that's a whole different treatment approach. So um, I, I think that it's really important. When in doubt, send them out, have me evaluate, and I'll let the pediatricians know if, no, it's, it's just plagiocephaly and this is what I recommend, or if it's craniosynostosis, you know, let's send them to a neurosurgeon who could be evaluated, and that treatment protocol takes off at that point. Do you see patients where you think, I wish I had seen this patient sooner? Oh, yes. Um, there's quite a few. I mean, and sometimes it's from the rural areas where they don't have the access or the education. Um, you know, the sooner the better. Um, but when I get a patient that's 10 months old, um, that's really hard. I have up until... The FDA says the best time or, you know, 3 to 12 months of age, 18 months is when all the sutures fuse. That's when I can't. It's contraindicated. After 12 months, the growth is so minimal, it's very difficult. And I've had parents show up at my office at 12 months of age um, going, I want to do something with my baby's head shape. And the conversation is, I will do my best. There's minimal growth. The skull is you know, thicker, it's mm-hmm. going to be harder. So what kind of results I'm going to get, I'm not as confident as I am when I'm going, okay, your infant is only four months old, and yes, we have all this time. We're going to get great results. Mm-hmm. So, Tell me about the most recent article in the American Academy of Pediatrics about cranial remolding. Can you get us give us kind of in a nutshell, what's the bottom line? The gist of it is that they're wanting to make sure, as I was saying, on the head shape, that there's underlying conditions that can cause that head shape. Again, is it just with the sutures are open and the head is flattened on one side and it's being pushed forward, or is it 
what we call brachycephaly, which is just totally flat across the back and they're very wide, um, or is there one of the sutures prematurely fused? If that's the case, again, I like having those patients seen much, much earlier because when you see a, a child with craniosynostosis at a young age, they have two opportunities, two paths to get that corrected. They can do an endoscopic technique that releases that, or they do a cranial vault reconstruction, which is much later. So when you have an older patient, they don't get the advantage of that endoscopic treatment, which is a more less evasive. Um, and that seems to be that the tide is going more that way. It's been a real paradigm shift. Uh, the younger they are, because we can take advantage of the sutures being opened, then we can use the cranial remolding afterwards to help them. Um, where if they're much older, then it's more aggressive surgery. And, you know, there's blood transfusion, it's hours worth, um, and then there's no remolding after that. It's just, it's all done at that time. We're in the midst of summer, as we know all too well. So what advice do you have regarding cranial remolding, the helmets, and summertime. And tell the parents, don't go outside. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's hot. It, this is the hardest time in my business is I'm getting lots of calls and lots of emails. It is very hot. Not only is it hot, it's very humid. And you have this uh, helmet on, and if it's not cleaned properly or enough, it, you can um, bet you're going to get a heat rash or a yeast infection. Um, so I tell the parents, take the, the orthosis or the helmet off more often, wipe it down with water, wipe their head down with water, towel dry, um, just keep them as cool as possible. Um, you know, a onesie, no socks, um, more skin exposed to let them breathe. They're sweating because that's the natural mechanism of the body to cool itself. So it's not unusual to sweat. It's the problem with the sweat is when it's in this trapped environment, it begins to dry out the skin, and then once it's dry and you sweat more, that's when you start burning the skin. So that's why it's so important, and I just tell them over and over, you know, take it off, clean it with water. Um, they can use Aquifer, Baby Vino, or Eucerin on some of those hot spots to help, um, but it does attract dirt, so you, i got to really scrub it. Um, so it's cleaning with water throughout the day and scrubbing it with the alcohol one time a day. Our pediatric practitioner listeners, they, of course, know how important tummy time is um, with babies. But what nuggets of advice do you have there in terms of that interaction with patients and, and parents What would you and caregivers? What would you advise? Well, I have found a lot of parents, when I'm talking to them about tummy time, you know, their perception is, oh, I'm just supposed to put the baby on the ground, and that's tummy time. And it's like, no, and because they'll say, oh, my baby doesn't like it. Well, no baby likes to just be placed on the ground and left alone. Um, so I tell them, you know, to use a boppy, get down on the floor with them. Hold the baby in your arms, tilt it out. Have them lay across your lap. Lay down with them on your chest. Anything that extends their head back is considered tummy time. And take advantage of those times because it's great bonding and emotional uh, uh, touch. and mm -hmm. That's really important. Uh, yeah, it's a chance to connect, right? Yes, the emotional connection. I heard that on one of your other podcasts, mm -hmm. is that emotional connection, that bonding time. That's important. So if they can do it and just lay on their chest and, and the baby will lift up their head, perfect. That's mm -hmm. tummy time. Or tummy time for mom or dad too, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. 
Um, and I'll put in the, the text for the podcast the information to refer patients to you. You see patients at the Medical Arts and Research Center in the Medical Center here in San Antonio. Yes, that's correct. Why are patients not referred out? Do you see a common, something that's missed that you'd like to mention here? Um, you know, if anything, I think it's really important for the pediatricians to, to remember that um, the service that I provide, when we do an evaluation, it's, it, I do it at no charge. So I want them to send them and not be concerned that I'm going to be billing them or I'm just going to be putting them into an orthosis. It's an important time to educate the parents. I want the parents to be able to make an educated decision for themselves. Um, even, I mean, I enjoy getting patients when they're two months of age. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm not going to put them into an orthosis, but it's a great time to get this baseline. And we can see how severe they are. Because if they're 20 millimeters of asymmetry, well, bet your dollar that next time they come in in about four to six weeks, we're probably going to have to go forward in, with an orthosis. But if they're at maybe nine to eight millimeters of asymmetry, I'll have them come back, but they may not need the orthosis. We'll really be able to reinforce the tummy time. So I'm used as a resource, a resource to talk about tummy time to emphasize that, plus educate them so they understand. I joke with the parents all the time saying, when you leave here, you should be able to teach the pediatrician about the, your head shape because I want them to know exactly what I'm seeing so they can go back and go, okay, this is what we're seeing, and why is this considered severe or moderate or mild? You know, I explain all that. I want them to be able to make that decision. Um, and I think that's extremely important. I'm empowering the parents with the education so they can make a decision. Um, a lot of times I tell parents, once I'm done with the evaluation, oh, you don't have to make a decision while you're sitting here. I wouldn't want to. That's uncomfortable. Go home, talk about it, look at your child, and say, okay, they're 13 years old. This is their head shape. If you're okay with it, then don't do anything. But if you look at it and go, whoops, that's bad, well, then that's something I can take care of. And that's what I want the pediatricians to know is, you know, I'm here, again, as a resource to help them emphasize the tummy time, and if the parents are concerned about a head shake, that is something I can do for them. When is too young or too old to send to you? Um, I don't think there's a, ever a too young. Um, okay, I really? Think, so yeah, my youngest patient um, was 14 days old. Now, that was with craniosynostosis, so there was other circumstances with that. Genetic um, factors. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I, I just had an evaluation yesterday. The baby was only one and a half months old. Um, but it was a great, great uh, example of a pediatrician going, I'm concerned about craniosynostosis, um, evaluate. So it, they're at one and a half months. I can look at it and go, you know, I'm not too concerned about this. Let's follow up. And it's about six, eight weeks. Or I can go, oh, this is something I do see. I am going to send it to a neurosurgeon. Let's have them reevaluate it because the younger they are for craniosynostosis to address that, the better. Um, but if it comes back as it's all the sutures are open, that's great. Then we can just follow it as a, a positional um, deformational plagiocephaly or whatever. Um, so we can address it that way. Um, my ego is not in this. If I think that something's wrong, I'll send it to the 
pediatrician. I'll even send patients to um, PTs to work on, you know, if their neck is tight, if they're diagnosed with torticollis or if they're not diagnosed and I think they're tight, I'll send them. I'd rather have a, a neurosurgeon or a PT tell me, Darren, nothing was wrong. I'd rather be overcautious than undercautious. Since we're a device-driven, um, we don't bill until we actually are charging for the device. Mm-hmm. And once we charge for the device, um, that's it. There's no copay. There's no other office visits. It's all covered in that one cost. Um, now, you know, and all cost is, you know, I try to stay away from that. That's my uh, benefits coordinator. Mm-hmm. But it is important to recognize that most insurances in San Antonio do cover uh, for um, plagiocephaly, um, but it all depends on their their benefit package and what are their co-pays and what is their portion. You know, um, it may be covered at 100%, but only if their uh, family deductible has been covered. Or, you know, so there always will be a little bit amount in that. Um, there's been a big confusion about, you know, with Medicaid, um, is it a covered benefit? Um, when it comes to plagiocephaly, um, it, it is not a covered benefit here in San Antonio. Um, it is only covered if it's associated with surgery with craniosynostosis. Um, but that's, you know, that's been a concern back in 2012. Medicaid said, you know, they're not going to pay for it anymore. Um, but I don't want that to discourage the pediatricians from sending to us because I want, again, the parents to be able to make that decision for themselves. Um, and uh, we do discount our costs for um, Medicaid patients, and there are opportunities. Um, we offer care credit. Um, we have payment plans for them if we need to, you know, if it comes out of pocket. And it, it's hard for studies to be done for patients who opt not to do the treatment because they don't want to be followed, so we really don't know the long-term. Right. It's, it's to have a... You know, what are the medical necessities attached to this? And it's really hard because when you're doing a study, you have to have a certain patient group that is willing to go, okay, yeah, I know something's wrong, and yeah, I don't want to do anything about it, Mm -hmm. and yeah, you can follow me. That's very Mm -hmm. difficult. Um, So we don't have any studies like that Mm -hmm. at this point in time. At what age is too late? So too late, um, again, 12 months is really late. 18 months, over 18 months, I can't do anything because the sutures in the skull are fused. Um, 12 months, it's a real hard conversation. I, I do make sure the parents understand that's going to be a minimal correction. Um, so the younger, the better. The faster we're going to get the results done and the better results. As they get over, you know, past six months, again, we're going, how, what's the severity, um, how much time? When you do cranial remolding, you have, you know, what is their age, how long I'm going to be able to put them into this um, device and putting these forces on it, and how severe is it. So, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, to put a time limit or something it is so black and white with this is not black and white. It is so you've got all, so many variables in it, you know, the age, how the severity, um, compliance. Um, compliance is huge. I can make the orthosis, but if the parents aren't, you know, for whatever reason, the baby's not wearing it, well, then the head gets bigger, and then we lose that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Is there some um, one line you recommend 
the pediatrician who's seeing that patient regularly, what to say sensitively to parents and caregivers? To have the pediatricians, you know, support that. If, they're, if the families are doing this and they're moving on with it, is just be supportive on, you got to wear it 23 hours a day. 23. Uh, yeah, that's our the, the compliance. Do you recommend trying to, to make it fun? Like, are there, can yeah. you tell me about that? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, we do offer when we're doing the orthosis that um, they can pick a pattern. They, it doesn't have to be just white or or blue or pink. It could be a, any kind of design that we have that we can put into the plastic. Um, there's also um, final wrap companies here in San Antonio that will wrap the it, and those are fun because they can come up with any design they want and put it on the orthosis. So, yes, absolutely. It makes it less medical. Um, it makes it more fun. When I was first doing this um, 20 years ago, you know, parents were afraid to have it on out in public because they were always concerned people well, what's wrong with your baby you know nowadays it's 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 like oh you're just remolding or even the helmets say i'm working on my flat you know you know it's they make it fun um holly one thing i do want to say mm-hmm. with it with the pediatricians that you know how do we differentiate ourselves at ut and um you already mentioned i have 20 years of experience um, I work with Jim Brookshire. He came from Houston at Texas Children. He has over 15 years of experience. So we have over 35 years of experience working with these infants. Um, it is certainly a passion of ours. Um, out of all the things we could do prosthetically or orthotically, this is the most rewarding. Um, I don't ever get tired of when I'm done and I see the results and what we've done. Um, it's exciting. Um, I can do, the majority of our patients can be done in one helmet, which is really important because especially if, you know, you have this expense, you want to be able to do it in one helmet. And that's something that we guarantee. We say, yes, we'll do it in one helmet. You will pay for one helmet. As long as they're compliant, I can do it in one helmet. If a pediatrician suspects craniosynostosis, should they send to a neurosurgeon or to so cranial remolding? What I would do, I suggest you send the cranial remolding, for one, because Jim and I have that kind of experience. Typically, you rule out craniosynostosis with, you have to do a CT scan, okay? Um, I've been around craniosynostosis for so much that I can typically recognize it when someone's walking into the office. Um, actually, my office staff, I've taught them, they can usually do it. Um, but you can see us faster. Um, you can get into our office a lot faster than you can get into neurosurgery. Um, and, and I am part of neurosurgery. So that's a real advantage is if you come and send them to me, I can see the patient, I can do the evaluation, and they go, oh, yes, I suspect that it is craniosynostosis. I'm going to refer it over to the neurosurgeon. I have, you know, direct contact to the neurosurgeon so I can get them into the clinic. Um, it helps it, the process a lot smoother. Um, plus, I have a scan. We have a report, which the pediatrician will get, and they'll have that whole, they can track the whole process through. So, Are we ready for a case? Sure. Okay, so <laughs> let's take a case of a three-month-old baby Sarah comes in with her mom, and her mom is concerned about her flat head. What, what's the first step? So what I would do is if, if they're seeing the pediatrician, the first thing I would do is, you know, you know, look at that and, and don't, don't worry about it. 
if you're in doubt, send them out. Send them out to me. Um, send a referral, and then you'll get a full report from me because I'll do the evaluation. And when I'm evaluating, I'm going to check the range of motion in their neck. I'm going to suggest if they if I feel like they have some neck tightness or torticollis, I'm going to suggest that they get physical therapy, but I'm referring that back to the pediatrician. Um, and then I'll tell them, here's the head shape. You get the scan. You get a, a visual analysis just by looking at it. This is what I see. You get the measurements. You get a full report. You get the head picture of the head shape. You get a picture of the kids. So you get a full report of where your patient is. So you don't have to worry about it. Then you can go, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, I may send it saying, yes, I recommended it, and the families are, is going to move forward. Why am I recommending it? I have the justification why I'm recommending it, because they're moderate to severe. Um, you know, at UT, I pride myself on, again, not everything goes into an orthosis, okay? There is tummy time. But the literature supports where it's the Congress of Neurological um, Surgeons or the American Association of the Neurological Surgeons or the Academy of uh, American Academy of Pediatricians all support and endorse the cranial remolding orthosis as the modality of treatment for an infant that's diagnosed with moderate to severe. If an infant has moderate to severe, depending on their age, I'm going to recommend it. Um, and where they are on that severity scale. The younger they are, I, sometimes I have an opportunity to kick it out and follow. But Holly, out of my 20 years, I've had three patients, I can count, that came into my office that had 15 millimeters of asymmetry. And I said, okay, let's, and they were young. They were like two months. And I said, okay, come back in a month. And I kept following. And each time they came in, they had a little bit correction. So I said, okay, let's keep on working tummy time. We got them all the way down to below six millimeters, which is considered to be within normal limits without an orthosis. They did it by repositioning. Three, okay? I see over 1,000 patients a year. Wow. So I don't know what that percentage is, but it's really, really, really small that it's going to happen on its own. But I'm willing to try it. You know, I'm always looking for that next one that, that, that we didn't have to do anything. Um, I am not regulated on on how many helmets I put on a child. I'm regulated on giving proper patient care. That's, that's and I regulate that myself. That's me. <laughs> and evaluate what you have. I'm a resource. I want to be there for you. Um, they've got, they have my number. They have our email. Reach out if there's a question. Do you have um, a life lesson that you want to share or... You know, you asked me that, and I, I was going through and thinking, you know, out of my whole career of doing orthotics and prosthetics, when I was introduced to cranial remolding, you know, I was hesitant at first. Um, but the, there was such a nudge of follow that. It's, it's not the most popular thing out of prosthetics and orthotics. There's always the, the glitzy knee and stuff that's out there that's really fun. I know I make such a difference. Talk to the parents that we work with on how m much we have helped their, their, their baby. That is my life's lessons, is, is to follow my heart and go, okay, I'm glad I made this choice. I mean, I left doing all prosthetics and orthotics just to focus on cranial. Um, 
again, it's not the most popular thing, but it's, it is the most wonderful thing for me. It is, it, it all started with uh, endoscopic, actually. So um, that's how I got introduced to it. And then watching after surgery and putting the orthosis on and taking such a horrific head shape and being able to go, oh, they're now into um, within normal limits. What a rewarding thing. Um, and to see the parents their reactions and you know the, the kids don't ever know however i just had a family that i worked with from their um from brazil missionary family and i worked with two of their children and they came and visited me yesterday and she's 13 oh, so okay. to have that reward of hey you did this mm-hmm. and look at this you know what a, what a, a neat feeling and to go i made a difference in this person's life um no i'm not a surgeon I, you know, I, I, I don't deal with life and death, but the importance of your own child, your infant, you know, if you can do something for them to make life a little bit easier or, you know, because kids are such bullies, you know, they'll find something to pick on. What a um, difference you've made in that 13-year-old's life. Yeah, absolutely. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. We release a new episode every Friday. I'm Holly Wayment. I hope you can join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening.